Good morning, Oikos Church. He is risen. I'm sorry, but I will not be as impressive as that video. So, this morning, though, I will not be as impressive as that video. The story is much more impressive than me. This, this morning, we get to look at the story of Easter from the book of John. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open it up. You're going to find John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel. It's a very full gospel that depicts love in almost every chapter. We're going to be in chapter 20, and we're just going to go through the story this morning. We're going to listen to the words, and as we listen to the words, we're going to let the Lord and His Spirit speak to our hearts and remind us that the Lord is risen today, that everything that we may have in our heart that causes us dismay and doubt and worry, that today hope is here. Chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and was lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. In this part of Scripture, it's not so much that the body is missing. There's a whole bunch of explanations of why the body would be missing. In fact, it would have been very common in that day for someone to go into the grave to see, did they leave any precious things that I could steal? So there were grave robbery. They would go in there, destroy it. There was a perfectly good reason, especially when we look at Palm Sunday, how everyone embraced Jesus, and in a few days, they all rejected him. There was a perfectly good reason for any of the Jewish authority to break into the grave, steal the body, and do awful things to the body of Christ, displaying it so that everyone would say, Jesus was not the Messiah. He was nothing. There had been every reason in the world to do that. It wasn't that the body was missing that proves that Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't that his body was missing that made John say, I believe. It's because when he looked into the tomb, or at least this is what I believe, the linens... And the wrappings looked as if the body had just come out of them. Hadn't been unwrapped and thrown about like someone would steal a body. It was just there. 
beautiful. Then all of a sudden, all the things that Jesus had said, and I don't, I don't, I think John says that he believes here, but I think he even knows that when he was writing this, there was still a little bit of doubt. But he began to believe that this Jesus, that they said, who is this man? He finally believed that this is God. Mary Magdalene, she's distraught. And all we know is that somewhere in this, she either runs back with the disciples or she comes after them. The image that I see her doing is that she runs and tells them his body is missing and she's frantic. And then she sees him run off and I see her just kind of bow her head and slowly walk back to the tomb. And we get right back to the story in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and she wept. She stooped and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot, at the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Now, when the angels ask that question, it's not like, woman, why are you crying? This term in Greek is gune, and it's a term of endearment. It really is like woman. Or like when I see my oldest, Abriana, crying and I go, sweetie, what's wrong? And I embrace her and I go, sweetie, what's wrong? That's what the angels are doing to Mary's woman. They feel her pain. They see she's hurt and they go, why are you crying? They're not trying to be mean-spirited. I think we often, as a people, fall into the same kind of despair and hurt that Mary had. Our plans are wrecked. You see, Mary went to the tomb that morning because she was ready to grieve and mourn. She had one thing on her mind, and I hope this doesn't come out sexist, but now I just said that, so now it will be. But oftentimes, women like to do things, right? to get their mind off of, they like to have little projects. And she had a project that day. She was going to anoint more stuff onto Jesus. She wanted to make it perfect. She wanted to perhaps look upon Jesus one more time. And if any of you have lost someone that you love, maybe you can step into those feelings of Mary. I just want to see them one more time. I just want to do this one thing for them. I want to put this one flower arrangement together for them. I want to make sure their tomb says exactly what it should say. That the gravestone is perfect. Because I want to remember them. So as you step into those shoes of Mary, perhaps you can kind of step into her grief and go, yeah, there's times when I am in the same point when my plans change. Everything that I wanted to do, which was good stuff, just got wrecked. 
The body's gone. I don't get to see him one more time. I don't get to do the one little thing I wanted to do for him. He's gone. For some of you who have lost someone who's really dear to your heart, you may have even said a statement like, I would have done anything to spend just one more day with blank. But now they're gone. King David, many generations before this, knew that same feeling. When he wrote in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? I believe that the same thing that Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The moment of his death was the same feeling that Mary was having right then. My God, my God, my Lord is gone. Why have you left me? Why have you left me all alone? Not only is the body of Jesus gone from Mary, but it seems to indicate that her hope and her faith is gone too. Didn't matter how much Jesus loved her before, didn't matter how much she saw, she thought he was gone. Not to return. And so she answers the, the angels. Verse 13, because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. Our faith is like this, right? We get struck with something really hard, and in that moment, we go, where's Jesus gone? I don't know where he is. Can someone show me where he is? Verse 14, she turned, and she turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Gune, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. There's a great lesson, I think, in this two short verses, verses 14 and 15 for us, on Easter Sunday. In our moment of grief or our moment of sadness or our moment of losing hope or faith, I think we stumble into this same conclusion that Mary had. That someone is actually able to take Jesus away from us. That maybe our sin can take Jesus away from us. Maybe our doubt can take Jesus away from us. Maybe our past history can take Jesus away from us. Maybe our current sickness can take Jesus away from us. Maybe our crumbling marriage 
can take Jesus away from us. Maybe our last lie, our rejection of being a father can take Jesus away. We think we can wander maybe just too far and that Jesus will just say, you know, I just don't care about you anymore. I'm gone. Never to return. The moment you think our sin is great enough to separate us from Jesus is the moment you stepped into the same shoes as Mary Magdalene that morning that said, You've taken Jesus away, and he's gone. Because that statement that our sin can separate us from Jesus is false. Can you do anything to make yourself walk away from Jesus where he will not come back to you? Can you do anything to walk away from Jesus and he'll say, I don't care about you. Paul experienced fighting against Jesus. Paul experienced what it may have looked like for someone to actually believe there's no way back. And he writes in Romans chapter 8, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who has raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is able to is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us. There is no way. No trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They kick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus, because Jesus what? I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. The Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, will always stand by you. Even when you don't want to stand by him, he stands by you. You matter so much to him. That even when you say he doesn't matter, he continues to look at you and say, you do matter. You matter to my kingdom. You matter to my father.
You have a place at my table. He will never leave your side. And he will always, he will always know your name. As we return to the gospel story, that's exactly what he does with Mary. Verse 16, in the middle of her doubt, in the middle of her about ready to walk away, he says, Mary. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. It's a critical point that Jesus doesn't look at Mary and say, Mary, why don't you believe? On this day, he looks at Mary and he says, Mary, guess what? My father is your father. And you grab onto that today. This is what Christ dying and rising again gave us. He gives Mary the first truths of the resurrection. Mary's identity is wrapped up in the Father. She is his daughter. Are you a daughter and son of God? It's only because Jesus died and rose again. He says, my God is your God. And even though you may have had little faith, now I'm telling you the gates of heaven are open to you. The picture I get of her seeing him and recognizing that he's, he really is Jesus, she goes and cleans to him. A lot of people want to do some theological, like, what's going on here? Maybe he's like a butterfly, metamorphosis. He's not quite done, so he says, don't grab onto me. I say that's a bunch of hoo-ha. That's, that's not the case here. It's just a depiction of what's really going on. The picture I get is our son, Zach, often, actually not very often, very few times he's really always right next to us. He does not want to be left behind. There's been a couple occasions when he's been left behind. And there's sheer panic in his face. His world has crumbled, and he is about ready to die right there. And he is looking for us, and then I see my wife's face. There is sheer panic on her face. There's death on her face. There's grief. There's anger. Everything you can think of is on her face because we've just lost one of our kids. Normally, it's Amaria, but when it's Zach, we know there's a problem. And I'll tell you, the picture I get when I read this gospel lesson is the moment that we find Zach. He is like, grabs on, and then he will not let go. Even to this day, when we're in large crowds, I can feel a hand grab onto my pant leg because he wants to just stay so close. And that's the picture I get of Mary. 
She thought someone had taken her Lord away. She didn't even believe that Jesus could be raised from the dead. She thought it was all over. Her hope was gone. But in a couple minutes, hope was there, just as it is here today. I pray that for each of us as we walk away from today that this Easter doesn't become just something that you do or, as my son says, dress up in your fancy clothes. Why are we all doing this? And becomes about the dinner that you prepared and the other stuff that you're going to do and the basketball games yet to be played. But it comes back to Jesus hasn't been taken. And he hasn't been taken from you. He's here. He is risen. He knows us by name. We'll try that again. He knows us by name. He will not leave us or forsake us. He is risen. Amen.